If you're a woman that struggles with unwanted sexual behavior, have you felt like you're the only one? Like it's a guy problem and women just don't struggle here. If so, that's an absolute lie. In fact, one study found that about 75% of 18 to 30 year old women reported viewing pornography at least once a month. And so, more and more, women are struggling today with sexual compulsions and addictions than ever before. And in this episode, speaker and author Kelsey Skoke shares more about why that's the case, how it's not just a guy problem, and what you can do as a woman to find freedom. We also get into Kelsey's past struggles with pornography and masturbation, what helped her find freedom, and what her life is like now. We discuss what's underneath the struggle, like what are women really looking for in all of this. We even touch on how unhealed trauma can contribute to unwanted sexual behavior, including the trauma of your parents' divorce or your broken family. We discuss how some people claim these behaviors leave women feeling free and strong, but Kelsey shares what she's learned about how it makes women feel after working with thousands of women. And Kelsey shares a six step plan that women can use to find freedom. She also shares some stories of amazing transformation in the lives of women that she's helped. So keep listening. Welcome to the Restored Podcast, helping you heal and grow from the trauma of your parents' divorce, separation, or broken marriage, so you can feel whole again and break the cycle. I'm your host, Joey Panarelli. This is episode 98. This episode is actually part one of our podcast series called Healing Sexual Brokenness. So if you've been listening to the show, you know that we feature stories and expert interviews on how to heal from the trauma of your parents' divorce or broken family, or how to navigate the pain and the problems that stem From it. And one of the biggest problems that we've noticed that often stems from your family's breakdown is unwanted sexual behavior like pornography, masturbation, hookup culture, paying for sex, infidelity, and so much more. In fact, one expert found that almost 90% of those who struggle with sexual addiction come from a broken family. And in this series, you're going to get tactics and resources to overcome unwanted sexual behavior so you can find freedom. And so, a little trigger warning this is obviously a mature topic, so we recommend putting in earphones or at least not listening around children. My guest today is Kelsey Skoke. Kelsey is an international speaker and author who has spoken at events such as NCYC, Seek, and World Youth Day. After graduating from the University of Kansas, her passion for mission started when she interned at two Fortune 500 companies and saw the greater need. For Christ in our world, from serving over eight years with Focus, the Fellowship of Catholic University Students on college campuses and in the parish, she speaks on topics of evangelization and missionary discipleship, but is mostly known for her ministry and talks helping women in their personal purity. She currently resides with her husband and children in Overland Park, Kansas. So, in this conversation, we talk about God and faith. And if you don't believe in God, you're totally welcome here.、Uh, anyone listening for a while knows that this is not a strictly religious podcast. And so, wherever you're at, I'm glad you're here. And if you don't believe in God, my challenge for you is this just listen with an open mind. Even if you skip or take out the God parts, you'll still benefit from this episode. So, here's my conversation with Kelsey. Kelsey, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Joey. I want to dive right in. Your core message is that men are not the only ones who struggle with unwanted sexual behavior like porn and masturbation. Women struggle too. And so, to the women listening right now, 
who feels like she's the only one, what would you say to her? I would say I've been where you are. I think growing up, that was pretty much the understanding I understood in the world, whether it was promoted from the media or even even when I finally came back to my faith um, and I started going to different sessions on chastity or any type of purity culture experience, it was kind of men struggle with pornography, more of the visual type of sexual sin and, and women struggle more on the emotional side. And um, while that can be true to a sense, I think both both genders experience struggles in both areas. And so my whole experience growing up was is just learning a lot about my sexuality from the, the rules, the do's and the don'ts. And by the time I finally came back to the church, was which was when I was about 17 years old, I had heard don't have sex before marriage. That was kind of the <laughs> the only rule that I really knew. You know, you don't want to attach yourself to someone before marriage and you don't want to have the risk of pregnancy or STDs. And so when I was exposed to pornography and masturbation kind of at the same time was when I was 12. Um, I was flipping through TV stations uh, in my living room, right? There was no need for filters or any protection. It was it was safe because it was just on regular cable TV. And I stumbled upon a series of movies that demonstrated masturbation just in the movie. It was a rated R film. And it, 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 it made me curious. You know, you're 12 years old, you're trying to discover your body and different things. And so the first time I masturbated was really out of mere curiosity. It was just kind of, I saw something and I was curious and I decided to try it out myself. And there wasn't, there weren't any, you know, past trauma or wounds um, or, or anyone else introducing it to me. It was really just uh, kind of happenstance that it, that it occurred. And that was what, almost 20, a little over 20 years ago. And so for me, it was stumbling into it, learning that, oh, wow, I noticed that this behavior kind of releases my stress, anything that I'm overwhelmed by emotionally, or any friendships, any family drama, school stress, whatever, for just a moment, I'm, I'm relieved of this. So in my mind, it was a healthy, natural behavior that I was participating in that didn't risk STDs or pregnancy. It wasn't immoral in my mind, because this was something I was choosing to do. Um, yeah. And, and at the time, I would even have argued that I wasn't watching pornography because I wasn't on maybe an X-rated explicit site, which which I can get into that that's not necessarily the only versions of pornography that exist in the world. Um, and in, in, my, in my opinion, I think a lot more outside of that specific definition are even more dangerous to the average person. But so for me, that was entering into, it became a behavior that all through high school, even into college was essentially my constant companion. Anytime I was stressed, anytime I was feeling any type of negative emotion. And then it just became, well, this is just kind of a daily routine thing. And I I wouldn't have said I had an addiction at the time. Now, again, we can go into further into my story, but to be a woman experiencing this, when I did start learning that that this was something that was wrong, I honestly thought I was probably one of the only women that struggled with this, that I was a little bit of a freak, <laughs> if you will. Um, the shame and embarrassment that that came upon me when I tried to root this out of my life, especially when if you look up books or, or resources of any kind, they didn't exist for women. Yeah, And so, so coming out of it was also a very lonely experience at the time. And so that's, that's why I'm so passionate that you're having me on here today. I don't want anyone to feel alone. I don't want anyone to feel as if they are the only ones and they have to do it on their own. Uh, because from my ministry now doing this almost seven years, that is far from the case. And I've learned quickly that I am far from the only one that struggles with this. 
Yeah, I, I love in your book, I think it was Sarah Swafford who wrote it in the foreword. Mm-hmm. She said that one young woman came up to her after a talk and or at some point and said, you know, confided in her that she struggles in this area with porn masturbation. And she said something along the lines of like, Sarah, I don't even, you know, sin in a feminine way. Mm-hmm. What a lie. It's like, no, this is a human problem. It's not just a male problem. It's not just obviously a female problem. It's a human problem. The problem of less right. of using people, of misusing our sexuality. For sure. For sure. And I think if we add that additional shame that is a lie, right? That that this is not a woman issue, then it it prevents women from seeking the healing and help that they deserve. I think there's so many women out there who are isolated in this struggle. And because they're so ashamed, they will never voice it and explain or share or get the help that they deserve to be free. Totally. There's so much fear. And mm-hmm. I, I couldn't agree more. And I've seen that a lot. And I think that um, we'll get into some of the other barriers that maybe present themselves when it comes to trying to find freedom from this sort of bad habit, the sin. But totally, there it's very, very scary. I remember going through it myself. It's like, man, if my friends knew about this, my family knew about this, I've struggled with pornography, masturbation, sexual sin in general, it's like, what would they think of me? Like, would they just like not, you know, not want me in their life? Like there's a million and one things that just comes in your mind. So we'll get back to this, but I I thought it was really helpful in your book too, how you quote statistics. It's kind of hard to argue with statistics where you say (laughs) something along the lines of like 75%, more than 75% of 18 to 30 year old women reported viewing pornography at least once a month. It goes on to say like something like 80% of American women have masturbated in their lifetime and 40% I have done so in the past month. Uh, anything yeah. to add to those statistics? Again, I think it's helpful to see, wow, I, I thought I was the only one, but I'm not the only one. Of course. And I think statistics are so difficult because those are self-reporting, right? Those are people who are admitting that that's their experience. And I also think they have to then have the same definition of what is pornography because it's, it is very much snowballed into that. So I would say those those statistics are even conservative. I think the most recent data point that they were seeing from those X-rated sites like Pornhub or anything like that. It's one in three viewers of pornography is a woman. Um, And I think that puts it into perspective when you look at the millions upon millions of viewers daily on those websites to imagine if one third of those were female, that that's more realistic of an understanding of how many women are consuming pornography on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. Makes so much sense. And those numbers are insane. Like if you look at the number of hours watched, it's like mind blowing. It's hard to even comprehend it. So I'm glad you said that. Since we're here, let's talk about the definition of pornography. I know it's like really hard thing to define and say what is porn, what's not porn. Um, yeah. What, what are your thoughts on this? For sure. There. So the best definition I have and uh, is actually from the Catechism of the Catholic Church. And I think even if you're not, you know, faith like based looking at this this issue, it's it's a very The definition, I think, applies overall. So if you look at what the catechism says, it shares that pornography is any situation, and I'm going to paraphrase it so that way it can be kind of become your own language, but any any sexual situation between two people, whether it's visual, written, or anything like that, that is being sold, viewed, read, experienced from a third party that is not part of that that sexual experience. So any, any type of content media that is essentially the unity of two individuals, their sexuality, their personhood. Heck, it could even be one individual, right? If a, if a single person's sexuality is then being viewed in a lustful way for their own entertainment, they're consuming kind of the sexuality of the other individual without their consent, without their being a part of that act in and of itself, then that is pornography. 
I don't know. <laughs> that's a long paraphrasing of, of it, but it Makes really sense. takes into the idea of the dignity of a human person and tapping into something that is not your right and, and being a part of something that you yourself are not giving anything into you yourself are not, it's, it's not your right to be in that and that, and it strips the sexual act. It strips the human person and their dignity um, in, in several different ways. And then that's when it becomes a huge issue. It's a human rights issue. It's, it, it can, you can go into all these different things. Any type of pornography, I know a big one in just the past 10 years has been Fifty Shades of Grey, right? New York top seller for women. However, it is describing in very graphic terms to people, fiction or not, it's describing two people's sexual interactions and you're absorbing it as entertainment, as, as the reader. And so that is pornographic because it's not, you're not participating in that act. You are, it, it is not, it is separate from your life. And instead you're consuming it for your own pleasure and entertainment. So, so that's kind of where that definition comes from. Okay. Yeah, no, it makes sense. That's helpful. And and there's a lot to this question. It's not an easy question to tackle, but that that's helpful. And uh, I think, you know, in that there's two things that, you know, something is quote unquote innocent as Instagram can be extremely pornographic, which I know we see a lot of. And then the other thing is that um, you're not saying nowhere in what you just said is that like sex is bad and dirty and you shouldn't ever you know do anything like that. It's reminds me of something that Jason Everett said. He said, you know, sex is natural, but watching it isn't. Mm -hmm. And I think there's so much truth in that. I think too, sex is so good. And I hope that is something, a message I say. Sex is so, so, so good. And I love, I don't even know if the quote's correctly put to someone, but it's not, the issue with pornography is not that it reveals too much. It's that it reveals too little. And just to understand the true beauty of our sexuality and the true beauty of what sex is, um, for two individuals to come together and give of their entire selves to one another without any hesitation, restraints, and to receive the other in the same way, like th that is just beautiful and magnificent. And when you look at what the culture in the world is selling as sex, it's pathetic, honestly. And, and I think the more you can, delve into the beauty and reality of what sex was meant to be, um, you can kind of see the counterfeit and you can kind of see how it doesn't hold a candle. And I think that's why there is such fascination and an addiction, right? It's an addiction. It's not just people who view pornography. That's one thing, but they continue to go back to it. It becomes a drug for them. It changes their brain chemistry. And that's why it's not just like someone could hear that definition and go, okay, Kelsey, that's that's your opinion that that's wrong, but I'm not going to say that's wrong. Like that, that, that enjoying someone else's sexual experience for my entertainment is, is bad. And I would argue that when you look at all the, also the statistics, the data, I'm a big, I'm a big data person. Um, at what, it, the, what it's doing to your brain chemistry, the chemicals in your body, what it's doing to relationships. When you look at divorce rates, um, when you're looking at the human person, erectile dysfunction, women who aren't able to climax anymore, there's a physical element that, that is negative to the human person. All of the things we're seeing there, the, the positives that may come from these behaviors in the immediate, whether it's stress relief or, uh, pleasure, those are very immediate and long-term become a flash in the pan. Like they're, they're, they don't um, weigh at all anything to the negative effects that these behaviors have on us as human individuals. hundred percent. Wow. You, you covered so much. And I, um, I invite, no, and I love that. And I, I invite everyone to like delve into this deeper. If you're hearing this for the first time, especially, and you're like, really, I didn't realize it. 
you know, change my brain chemistry, the structure of my brain, like all that stuff. It's like, no, this is all true. And we'll give you some good resources throughout this series that you can learn more about this and hopefully find freedom if it's, this is something you're compulsed to or even addicted to. And yeah, I just love everything that you said. And I think, again, going back to this whole idea that um, it's, it's a cheapening of our beautiful sexuality, you know, using mm-hmm. pornography, masturbation, all those things. It's like, no, we're called to something that's so good and so beautiful that we want to protect it. And when we just reduce a person down to their sexuality, just their body, um, it's demeaning, right? It's mm-hmm. and and what it does for the viewer, of course, is that it destroys our ability to love. It destroys our ability to love. And if you can't love, I don't know what you can do in life. Like if mm-hmm. all you know how to do is use people for your own pleasure, you are not going to thrive. You're not going to be happy in life. And that's mm-hmm. the thing I think that we need to come back to again and again. And it can be so fulfilling on the flip side to have just a really beautiful marriage where, you know, you do experience that um, expression of your sexuality in like the proper format and proper venue, proper way. It's totally the opposite. It's not empty, like you were saying, um, mm-hmm. but it can be really beautiful and fulfilling. Well, exactly. And I think that is the misconception is, is people might hear chassis speakers or even this podcast and just hear people who just want people to stop watching porn, right? Like that's kind of <laughs> this, this idea. And I, my, my greatest desire is that people are fully fulfilled. So they're fully happy. They're, they, they're filled with such joy. I, I give talks to parents a lot of times on how to protect mm-hmm. your children. And, and I'm like, my hope is that your kids have the healthiest and most incredible sex lives. Like, I mean, I, I know that sounds weird, right? Like I'm talking about parents, but, but my hope is that as, as, as humans that we, we desire that because it is a good. And, and, and for those of us who truly understand that all good things come from God, like it is one of the greatest goods and gifts that God has given us, um, to tangibly, tangibly, uh, allow us to experience a taste, a foretaste of, of the ultimate relationship we're created for in heaven. And so when you look at all of these pieces, uh, it is truly out of a desire for you to experience goodness and beauty and, and the fulfillment of all of these things. Uh, I often, I, I often, you know, I work with a lot of women that, that are struggling in these areas and I help bring them into freedom. I don't think I've met any single person, any person who has fully rooted these, these, you know, more consistent habits, right? Uh, they say once an addict, always an addict. There will always be things that you need to put in your life to, to protect yourself from falling back into these things. But for someone who's living in full freedom, that they can make that decision and choice to not engage these behaviors through their own will. None of them have ever come back to me and said, you know, I really regret this decision. Yeah. I really wish, <laughs> wish I was back in the, the heat of the addiction. Because when you when you can experience that freedom, you know what it means to to feel fully alive, and so um, yeah, I, I just that that is so important that this is not a message of no, we don't want you to do this. It's we actually want so much more for you, mm-hmm. and from those that we've seen take a hold of their life and and root this out of their life, they would say the same thing that that there is so much more to life, and and they desire everyone to experience that freedom too. Beautiful. And I think it's important to note in these conversations too, there's kind of two people listening, maybe people who are hearing this for the first time who maybe have a perspective on pornography and like acting out sexually in different ways as like, it's not really harmful. And so mm-hmm. some of that's, some of what we're saying guys is geared towards those of you who are in that spot. Cause we just want to help you. Um, on the other hand, which is probably more common, it's like, we know at least intuitively something's not right with this stuff. We don't want to be 
falling into these behaviors and we want to get out of there, but we just don't know how, or we're, mm-hmm. there's some roadblocks there, which we're going to get to. So I think it's important when you kind of hear us flip back from like, um, you know, the apologist to the counselor, <laughs> that's what we're doing there. So <laughs> moving from there, I want to go back into your story. So you shared, you know, general review of it. And thank you so much for that, for being so vulnerable. And uh, I know you've, you kind of, you spearheaded this, at least in our world of like, just being a woman, like talking about this topic, it must've been so terrifying, (laughs) but um, (laughs) yeah. Anything else you'd add to your story when it comes to your struggle with lust? Yeah, I think, um, I think it was scary. I think stepping out in, in that unknown, but I, I absolutely love bringing people into that truth. I don't think there's anything more beautiful than than understanding where sexuality comes from. And I think one of the the ways that I've come to really help others understand their sexuality and what it's made for is to look at kind of where identity comes from. Mm. And so for those of you who are interested or in, involved in your faith, like there's a very clear line in in scripture and Bible where it says God basically that we're made in the image and likeness of God. And I think when I was really struggling with my addiction, um, I had started pursuing my faith. I was praying. I was going to church. I was, you know, quote unquote, doing all the right Christian things, but I still struggled with this. And it was so hard. It was so hard. And, and, and I felt so much shame in trying to be free when I felt like I already had my faith figured out, right? Like I, I was already there. So why is it so hard to, to root this out? And um, in the, in that scripture, verse of, of remain the image of likeness of God. God in and of himself is a relationship. When you look at the Trinity, God, Son, and Holy Spirit, he is three persons in one. In and of himself, God is a relationship. And so it would make sense that as human beings, that we crave relationship more than anything else, that that is one of our greatest desires. We're literally made, infused. Every part of our being is made for connection and made for that type of unity. And so when we're seeking things out in our world, it makes sense that we're craving any type of connection that we can get. And we're looking at our friendships. We're looking at our relationships with our family members. And when those relationships are broken, it makes sense that we would still be craving it to find other places. And that's why, you know, we will get into kind of the steps of healing, going to that first and foremost, that ultimate relationship that we're made for with God in prayer um, is obviously the number one way to do this. But there are also so many other relationships and ways for connection that we need to be seeking out in our daily life that can bring us uh, better out of these struggles. And I think that's something that is often overlooked, especially in a world that has become more technology focused, more isolated. We're very much on our screens. We're very much in our own little bubbles and our own little worlds. It is causing so much more disconnection and, and lack of unity within our world that it, it is no wonder that these struggles and issues are skyrocketing. And so, and so that was something I really discovered in my own addiction was, was to come out of, of the trenches of it was to really seek connection and connectivity um, with God, with my friends, with, with others in my life to, to feel that relationship that I was craving and you and, and desiring. Yeah, no, it makes so much sense. And so it's not breaking free from this is not necessarily like a checklist of things to do, but really kind of a structure to build in your life that Mm. makes that thing kind of not even attractive. There's no need for it. And so we're going to get into that. I want to stick with your story a little bit more and just ask the question, like you're going to give advice for how women can break free from this, but I'm curious in your own life, like what did that look like? What did finding freedom look like in your own life? Well, I think so. It was about my junior year of college in which 
I finally understood that I was addicted. I think I kind of previously I shared that I assumed it was a healthy way to release stress. It was, it was in my own decision. This was not bad, but it wasn't until my junior year of college where I was learning a little bit more, um, taking some philosophy courses, learning more about the human person. And it dawned on me that this idea that anything that you don't have control over in your life, anything that you put, whether it's before God or really just you have no ability to say no to is considered an addiction. And at the time I thought, you know, I'm not addicted to this. I can stop it at any time that it is my choice. I'm freely living to this. Really the, the church has gotten this wrong. This is not an addiction. This is not harmful to me. So I put it to the test and actually decided I was going to stop engaging in this behavior by my own free will. And if I was able to do it easily, um, then I could begin to re-engage it at my own discretion, right? This is this nice. is just the, the prideful Kelsey that exists <laughs> in the world. Hey, it's a step forward. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I was unable to do it. I, I use Lent as my my time period, 40 days. And within a handful of weeks, uh, it became all I could think about. It, it was all consuming in my mind. I had to start getting out of the house more, coming up with more uh, activities to do to kind of fill my schedule. And, and finally was not, was not able to even make it the 40 days. And so going from that period of, of truly acknowledging I have an addiction. So I was what, 20, about 20 years old. It took about four to five years of working towards that healing. And again, I, I give those timelines very cautiously because someone might hear that and go, okay, I can get rid of this in four to five years. Or someone might be hopeless and going, whoa, I have four to five more years of working on this. Um, It's everyone's story is so unique. And I've been able to work with a lot of women who have much less time. I mean, we're talking like in one session, they can be fully free of it versus they might have a longer journey to go. But uh, for me, receiving that full freedom it, it it was a journey that I'm so thankful for. I think a lot of times in prayer, I would be asking God, like, just take this from me, just take this cross, take this struggle. Why aren't you taking this from me? I don't understand. I'm so faithful. Um, I even became a missionary right out of college and it was still something I had struggled with on and off. Sure. And I was so ashamed and embarrassed. But what allowed those moments for is, is pornography masturbation, kind of what I mentioned too about the relationship seeking. It is a mere symptom of what is going on. It is it is something that we're clinging to or or going back on when there's something deeper that that is broken inside of us. There's something we're we're not fulfilled in interiorly. And the Lord praised the Lord that he did not heal me when I wanted him to right when I was 20 years old because there were a lot of other things that I needed to work on and grow in internally before I could be fully free in the whole person. I would say like, God doesn't want to just heal this one issue. He doesn't want to just be like, okay, great. You're sexually pure. Uh, he wants to heal the whole person. And so for me, now I can say, you know, I, I got married at the age of 27, that, that before I even started dating my now husband officially, that I was fully free of these behaviors, um, fully free in the sense that I was not engaging them in any type of habitual way, that I was free to say no to them when temptations came, because of course temptations still come. But um, yeah. yeah, looking at that. And now I even work with a lot of married people who who maybe had a past struggle or current struggle and, and what that looks like within marriage because I have that experience as well. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's been a huge journey that I, I could not be more grateful for. 
Beautiful. I love how real you are. It's so refreshing because <laughs> sometimes I hear people talk about this and it's like, that was just like my former self. <laughs> like, it's like, no, you're the same you. Like you, you sow the capability today, you know, to relapse, to fall back into that. And we'll get into that a little bit later. I'm not pointing that at you. I'm saying that to me too. It's like, no, no, no. Right. We, it's not like this one and done thing necessarily, though you can find you know, turn a corner and find a lot of freedom and get in a spot where you're much, much better. But it's like, we always need to be taking care of ourselves, you know, making sure that we're loving people and receiving that love so that we're not craving going back into some phony. And watching the content that, that you put in your life. I think this is something yeah. that that is even more important. Once you've rooted out some of these behaviors in your life, you really need to, I mean, while you're doing it and then past that, you need to look at what kind of music are you listening to? What kind of television shows are you are you watching and books that you're reading and 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 conversations that you're having with friends, like the humor that that is being introduced because all of those things will increase those temptations and and you really need to start separating yourselves. And and luckily it's kind of a twofold. You'll you'll start desiring those things less. You know, I was watching a show that's fairly popular and there was just some crude sexual humor in it. And I just was like, that's not even funny. You know, at the time that might've been funny years ago, but um, so, so you need to separate yourself and realize that you will stop being interested in some of those things as well. So it's, it's twofold too. Yeah. It's amazing how you could change like that too. I remember, you know, growing up like with my sports buddies, like all those jokes were like really funny to me. And then, you know, had a conversion experience and like, you know, just got porn out of my life and, like really started to live a pure life and it made me so much happier. It was so much better um, to that, that to the point where that stuff didn't even become attractive to me. It, it wasn't even attractive to me anymore. And I think it's true, you know, kind of an analogy of this would be when you, you know, get in shape or start eating healthier. It's like that, you know, going to McDonald's just really, it's repulsive actually. It's like, no, yes. I don't, I don't want to do that sort of thing. So that's where we want to head. That's a perfect analogy. Yeah. Yeah. And um, you touched on this already, but I think it's important that we go underneath this one more time quickly, which is like, why do we struggle here at all? Like, why do we struggle with sexual sin, uh, especially kind of focusing the conversation on women, like beyond the desire for pleasure? Mm-hmm. You know, what are women looking for in porn and masturbation? Again, you touched on this already, but I'm going to give you a chance to flesh this out a little bit more. Yeah, to kind of double down. No, yeah, I think I think both men and women are are seeking comfort and relationship and to not be alone. I think it's always interesting when people are like, well, why do women struggle with this and men don't, you know, or, or why would men struggle with this more than than women? And sometimes we pin each other against that when there are a lot of the common themes of why you both seek it out. But I do think women more so that that desire to feel like they belong, that desire to feel loved is very much there. But it's, I don't know, there used to be that quote of, you know, women have sex to get the love and, and and men love to get the sex or I don't know, there's some kind of, and I, I don't agree with that. I actually think there is just in our, in our human person, that desire for connection is there and, and you can seek it out in a variety of ways. And the physical way is one that, that I think women now are getting a little bit more permission for. I would say our culture is even telling women that we need this in order to be a confident self-serving woman. You know, uh, I once worked with a, a girl, she was 16 and her mom bought her a vibrator for her 16th birthday. Wow. And I was sitting here like, how am I even supposed to compete with the fact that parents are not only not creating safeguards, they're handing it to their children. Yeah. Literally. So I think there is also a lie for women that think that they need to know themselves, explore their bodies, take their own sexuality into their own hands, kind of a power woman move. And then there's also just the, the nature of addiction, that desire to to feel 
attached and belonging. I mean, social media is a huge trigger for this addiction. You know, you, you, mm. you don't get as many likes on something or you, you don't get invited to something and then you see a picture of everyone else there. And there's just, it's, it's, it's so funny when I work with women in this addiction, it's like, why is the first thing you think of is like watching pornography or masturbating? And it's, it is because there is oxytocin. Like I mentioned those brain chemistry pieces changing oxytocin, the relationship binding chemical is released in your brain when you, when you participate in these things. And so there is on a, on a biological level, things that, that are being played out and that you're desiring. Another area that women specifically struggle more uniquely in this area is you, you look at all the triggers of stress, exhaustion, um, yeah. boredom it could be, but women have an extra trigger, if you will, that men don't have to compete with. Um, and that's our ovulation cycle. Um, just kind of looking at hormonal changes in a female body. We, we ebbs and flows, right? Men might have a consistent drive for sex, but once they are able to maybe figure out the best plan and strategy for them to overcome those temptations, they're not necessarily that they're good to go, but it's a similar temptation and feeling that comes for women. I can work with you, them. And, and, and we're all sitting there like, okay, for two weeks, three weeks, I'm solid. I'm doing really well. But then if hormonal changes in their body happen and they, they desire sex even more than they did the day before, it's really hard to, to shift in your brain and, and wonder why is this now for whatever reason, all I can think about today. And so for women, it's important. I also work a lot with women on, on figuring out their hormonal cycles, being prepared beautiful. for those periods in which temptation might be greater. And that's okay. Our, our human bodies are beautifully designed and, and looking at how we can, uh, yeah, like I said, plan for that versus resenting it in any way. Yeah, that makes so much sense. And then I think it's so good, to, like you've been doing through this whole conversation, just affirming the goodness that we have like as people and these mm -hmm. desires are not bad our desire to be loved to be wanted all those things you mentioned like that's a really good and beautiful thing we're just suggesting that this isn't going to not just suggesting we're stating and it's flat out telling you <laughs> flat out telling you that this is not going to give you what you're looking for it, it's a faux solution it, it's something that will leave you emptier than when you begin than when you go after it and i've seen that in my own life so much i want to go to those things you mentioned about kind of the world's perspective on kind of women taking their sexuality into their own hands, whatever lingo is thrown around, like the, you know, power women, all that stuff. Like some people will say that this again, makes women more powerful, mm -hmm. but what have you learned from all these women that you're working with about how it makes them feel? Oh, I can't speak for everyone. Right. Right. But the, the general consensus, it's it, obviously it makes you more lonely. It, it makes you feel more depressed. That's the, the kind of the brain chemistry thing I mentioned earlier. Like if you look at it as an equilibrium, like a stable line, when you, when you engage and, and allow these brain chemicals to be released. So dopamine, that good feeling chemical, oxytocin, that, that relationship binding chemical and an onslaught of others, you hit a high. Um, but what happens after a high is, is you also go down and hit a little bit of a low. And so what happens if you continually hit that high over and over and over again, the equilibrium of your brain shifts and it goes lower. And so in order just to get back to that even keel feeling, you need more, more frequency or um, even going more extreme in, in your behavior or what you're watching in order to get that same high. And so what happens then is, is you actually become more depressed and more anxious and more alone. And that, that's kind of then your normal state in order to then feel the high, you need to hit these things. And that's for men and women uh, across the board. Totally. And so there, there's a lot of statistics that demonstrate depression and anxiety linked with the frequency of, of pornography and masturbation. You argue like what comes first, the chicken or the egg? Are they more depressed and anxious? And that's what makes them engage with behavior. But 
we see with with uh, following brain mapping and looking at what uh, a healthy brain would look like versus the more frequent consumption of pornography, it actually deteriorates it. And you mentioned earlier kind of this counseling versus apologetics you know, conversation. I think it's so important because even if you're sitting there going, I want this out of my life, I truly do just help me. One of the ways to help us is to remind ourselves again of these truths of why it is bad. Because I think that's something that for me, it, it's more convicting. I can then fight the temptation much stronger if I know Remind, or I can remind myself, like, this is going to hurt me. It's going to hurt my brain. It's going to hurt my future relationships. I mean, something I work on so much now with these people in significant relationships and in marriages who are struggling to be united with their spouse, and whether it's from a past or current struggle in these areas, it's like, that should... I hope like shake people into thinking like, I want to be free of this. I want to do the hard work now if I'm not married, or even if I am married, I want to do the hard work now so that I can have a better marriage and be more united because these, these issues don't, I think a lot of times the lie could be, well, I struggle with this now because I don't have maybe access to sex all the time, whether that's just having someone, you know, be in marriage just there. But these these issues come into marriage like a wrecking ball. I mean, they really do. And they destroy everything that you're trying to build or have already built. And, you know, having sex more often doesn't change the use that you've you've conditioned your brain to be in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I have more I can say there, but I'll, I'll leave it there unless you have more no. questions. No, it's so good. I love it. And there's so much we can say on this topic. I wanted to, just for our audience, because we're speaking to young people who come from broken families. I'm curious, have you noticed any link between, you know, women's struggles in this area or men's perhaps and the trauma of coming from a really broken family whether your parents are separated, divorced or things at home are just really dysfunctional? For sure, I wouldn't say there's any one trauma that stands out more than another. I think all trauma is a, is a beginning cause of this and Again, this is a symptom. So it's more of, of, of any trauma can cause a lot of brokenness in a person. And then they would use pornography and masturbation as a way to cope with that healing that still needs to be done from the trauma. So yes, divorce, um, sexual trauma from your past. I once knew um, someone in college who was essentially addicted to sex. Just she would have sex with so many people. And it's because she was previously raped. And she once told me, she said, Kelsey, someone took my ability to say no away. And so me saying yes, every time is my way of of seeking that control. And I, w- I was astonished. I was like, wow, you have very good self-awareness. Yeah. Um, but do you realize wow. that's not healthy? <laughs> um, and so, yeah, there's definitely ways of coping from any type of trauma. I mean, emotional trauma, if you've had, whether it's a narcissistic parent or just any type of feeling unloved as a kid, um, any of that can obviously be a trigger for for any of these addictions because it's it's just a way of coping that what 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 is really going on in your heart and that needs to be healed. Yeah, I I hear you there. Let's get into how do you get this out of your life. So, what are steps, strategies that women can take use to find freedom? So I always, in my book and when I give talks, I outline six steps and I always laugh because as women, we like to multitask. So these steps do not need to be done in order. They can be done simultaneously. Unless you're Um, really an overachiever. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) And you want to like play it out like one, two, three. Um, So yes, in no order. uh, But I do highlight the first one, inviting Jesus in. So that relationship with God that I've mentioned time and time again, that eternal love that is 
just unconditional. That is what we're made for. And if we try and seek fulfillment in all of these earthly relationships that will ultimately fail us. I mean, my husband cannot love me perfectly. And so if I put all of my eggs in that basket and just assume that when he fails me, I will be hurt in a way that is unrecoverable. And so inviting Jesus in, adding prayer time into your life, allowing yourself to be in those things. And and if you're not, you know, involved in your faith, I would challenge you to kind of maybe seek that out. I mean, even Alcoholics Anonymous, I have a family member who who went through it. And the first step is acknowledging a higher power, whatever that higher power means, because there's something so important to the element that we are our created beings. There is something above us, not even physically above us, just bigger than us um, that we need to to bring these struggles with in order to to pull ourselves out ourselves out of an addiction. Um, so that'd be the first step: is inviting Jesus in. The second is evaluating your experience, and so depending on where you're at within these struggles, evaluating when were you first exposed. I think that just going back to the very beginning, thinking about meditating on praying with that first exposure, where were you, what was going on, um, who was with you, whatever that might be. And if you are faithful saying, you know, where was God in that moment? Was he, was he just ignoring it? Was he pretending like it didn't happen? I mean, maybe you were exposed by a significant other who, who forced you to watch it, or you tripped on it on your computer because of a family member who was also viewing it. Um, and maybe you feel very wounded and hurt by the fact that someone else exposed you to this and, and there needs to be forgiveness there. So evaluating your experience, starting with the beginning and then noticing when your addiction kind of increased frequency, whether what time in your life, was it when you were moving, changing schools? Was it during times of, uh, really stressful tests at school? Um, was it during a time of a parents' divorce? Whatever. You kind of can start looking at when your addiction became more significant or severe in your life. And, and it's through that evaluating your experience, you then can identify your personal triggers, which is the third step. Identify your triggers. So are you more triggered by yeah social media or feeling of, of loneliness? Are you more triggered by your hormonal cycle? Huh, I noticed that it always happens around once a month at this time. Um, and, and you kind of start tracking that to, to n- learn your own specific triggers. The fourth step would then be knowing all of this, knowing your triggers and, and your kind of, sorry, knowing your triggers and knowing your experience, establishing accountability, finding another woman. If you're a woman, finding a woman. If you're a man, finding a man. Um, because I think so many women are like, great, my boyfriend. No, <laughs> uh, it doesn't work that way. Uh, finding a fellow sister who can keep you accountable to the goals that you're setting in your life. Once you're monitoring yourself, you've identified your triggers, you want to start creating a plan. And this kind of goes with establishing accountability. The next step would be monitoring your monitoring yourself. So, okay, I don't want to be on social media so much, especially right before bed, because that's when I notice this is when my temptation is the strongest. So one of the things you need to do is probably not sleep next to your phone. I cannot tell you how many times I have women go, but Kelsey, my alarm clock is on my phone. <laughs> There's no way I could have that not next to me. And I laugh and I go, do you know an alarm clock at Walmart is $5? I will personally go and purchase your own alarm clock if that's really what you need, right? Um, There are things that we can do to eliminate these extra temptations that are in our lives. So yeah, so whatever your specific triggers are, create that plan. And when you've established that accountability, they can keep you accountable to those goals that you've made. Hey, I know 
my like uh, fertile period, ovulation, whatever, my temptation is going to be really strong at this week, this month. So plan extra friend dates, get out of the house. Um, heck, if you have a roommate that's out of town, if you're in college or, or you know that you're going to be alone a little bit more, plan more things, um, make that possible. Get yourself to your local church more often that, that time, whatever it might take. Create a plan, not just removing the bad, not just removing your phone or or putting filtering on your computer or whatever it might be. Add positive things into your life. That's what I mean by creating a plan. And then the last, the sixth step to all of this is seeking professional or spiritual healing. So counseling. I mean, there's a lot of things, I've, as we've talked about, trauma that might have gone on in our past or currently that a professional needs to be in there helping you with. Um, if you are involved in your faith, going to a spiritual director, going to confession, um, having having someone speak into this on a spiritual level can be so important. Confession, for those of us who are Catholic, receiving the forgiveness and grace from our Lord in one of the sacraments that he himself instituted. I mean, I cannot, I could, I could talk on that for a whole other podcast, but um, mm-hmm. those are things that are, that are so helpful to this healing process to make sure all of those things are a part of your daily life. And uh, if you really want to seek freedom, implementing all of these things in order to truly be able to walk without, without these struggles. One of the things you said too, which stuck out to me is like, you have to put so much good into your life that it kind of outcrowds. I don't know the right word. It like pushes out this temptation, this need, this bad behavior. And I think, I think that's so, so key. And that was really helpful in my life. Like there were new friendships, like I was, you know, doing all these other things and I was really diving deep into, you know, my story and the the healing aspect that you said then all that really, really helped. But I think there's something to be said, like on a really practical level of like, if you just add a lot of, you know, good things into your life, you don't need to necessarily take those bad things out. There is a component of that, of course, but like you got to trash, you know, any apps you have, or, you know, obviously I don't think anyone uses physical pornography anymore, but maybe they do um, get to throw that stuff away. But in the, you know, going deeper there, I think it is just like putting those good things into your life and crowding out, pushing out that, that bad stuff. I mean, I had, I had all the, the sex in the city movie DVDs and I just like broke them. <laughs> Like I was like, I'm not even going to donate these because I don't want anyone else watching them either. Um, yeah, there's, there are a lot of yeah physical forms that uh, I, I laughingly tell women like to have a burn party if, for whatever you can, whether it's books or magazines. I mean, Cosmo is essentially just pornographic material just on on the checkout line. Like, great. Right. I'd love to read read the 10 top sex tips. And then they're describing graphically positions and different things like that. And that is porn. I mean, you're... Again, it doesn't necessarily mean you're addicted if those are things that you're reading, but they for sure, if you have an addiction, will lead you very quickly down those spirals. So, 100%. Yeah. It's good to be aware of that. And I, I love that advice. What sort of transformations have you seen in the women that you've worked with? And obviously, beyond just like finding freedom, which is noteworthy, um, mm-hmm. but like, what are their lives like now? Oh, I mean, that that's probably the greatest joy is you know, seeing, seeing their marriages, seeing them get married and just in such a joyful way that they're able to fully embrace their spouse and, and their life in that way. I think just seeing them more fulfilled. I, uh, this might, I mean, I hope it's not creepy, but I, uh, I can sometimes tell if I meet someone, if they have a sexual addiction, they don't really look me in the eye as well. Um, they're a little bit more glazed over. There's less personal 
communication and, and, and just connection that they're able to make in a greeting. And I, and again, I'm not making any assumptions of their sin, right? Like I'm not going like in my head, like, well, they're a sinner. Right. Right. It's like, I'm, I'm, I know I'm a sinner too, but, but there are things in which shame changes a person. Um, it kind of makes you a little bit more reserved. And I mean, and I seem, I'm an outgoing introvert, like I'm outgoing, but there are moments when I just want to kind of escape the world. I get it. Yeah. But there is a difference. Even when you take an introverted, reserved personality person, when you remove the shame from them and you allow them to live in full freedom, uh, there's a sparkle that they just have um, and, and who they are. And I think a lot of times when you, when you meet these individuals and a lot of times like, whoa, they're just impressive or, or so outgoing or wow, what, whatever the, the, the phrasing you want to have is they're living in freedom. And it doesn't just have to be from sexual sin. I mean, there is a freedom of every single person knows what's going on, not necessarily what's going on in my life, but I'm not embarrassed by any behavior that I do like in front of someone else. Obviously I'm not going to have sex with my husband in front of someone else because that's prudent and, and, and whatnot. But it's, it's more of like, if someone knew that I was doing that activity, I'm not embarrassed by that. If anyone knew of anything that I did, I'm not embarrassed by that. So that, that falls into a whole area of what you're spending your money on, how you're spending your time, what you're looking at, what you're reading, um, how you're treating your children. Like you want, I mean, to live in freedom is this just, I'm going to strive and even I'm going to struggle. Like I'm going to maybe yell at my kids. And, and if anyone knew that, I would be embarrassed. However, I don't, that's not a desire of mine. And I'm working on that. And there's, yeah. So, so to, to totally. your question of how are people's lives different? It's just, there's something that I can't even speak to that changes within them. It's a confidence that they have. It is a sparkle, if you will that that no one can take from them and because it's 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 given by god and they have fully embraced it and they're receiving it and they're able to then shine it out to others so that's probably the greatest gift to see i love that yeah and i think one of the things that i noticed the most is i felt so empty when i was in that lifestyle Mm -hmm. and on the other side of it like life has so much meaning it's there's so much more happiness there's so much more joy like you're saying and i think even just the removal of the emptiness is like profound Mm-hmm. And I guess I'm like, even listening back to what I just said, I'm like, I hope no one, it's not, I, I often thought, so when I was a missionary and I was struggling with this, I was nervous that everyone knew, right. That, that I was struggling with this. I was terrified. Like, oh my gosh, they all know. <laughs> no one knows. No one has any idea that this is something you're struggling with. Uh, but I will say like, it's more of the transformation of when they are free, that that shift happens. And, and people might, you might be surprised that people come up to you like, whoa, you you seem lighter, you seem happier, you seem more confident, whatever it might be. They're not going to be able to put a finger on it. I mean, this is what I do for a living. So maybe it's a little bit different, but yeah, that, that no, like you, I think we assume a lot of, of that everyone must be so ashamed or disgusted by me um, that so many people probably know what I'm doing. And that is not true. That is unnecessary shame that is keeping you from freedom. And so I just want to reiterate that as I shared that, like that it's that no one, honestly has any idea and and we need to maybe seek this freedom and healing for our own sake and not worry about what what other people think because they honestly are dealing with their own things and and really have no idea that this is going on in your life so and that's also to a point sorry one last thing as women it is the established accountability piece is so hard for women because when i say go find another woman and 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 share with her your plan and, and how to overcome this i mean 
<laughs> if women aren't talking about this, like how are they going to find someone that they can open up such a sensitive topic with and mm. share and, and, and to be brought. And so to women who might be in that boat and be like, well, where would I even begin? First, I'd st- start with the closest friend, right? Just because even if this is not something they struggle with, they struggle with something else. Like I said, whether it's social media addiction, maybe shopping addiction, maybe it's a disordered eating, something that they want to get at root out of their life and they want to change in their behaviors. And you guys can be accountability partners for each other. It doesn't have to be the same issue. But there also are, there is like Magdala Ministries right now has an online accountability group. It's more just like a small group that works with women in these areas. And so, um, and I know we'll get at the end to kind of more resources and things like that. But I think start with a friend that you trust to just share a little bit of your heart with. And I think the more women that share this will learn more and more that they don't need to be as embarrassed that more women than not struggle with this. And honestly, most women that are like mortified to share with a friend, they tell their friend and they're more often than not, the friend's like, Hey, me too. Let's work on this together. And so again, you don't know that this is something someone else is struggling with. And so to not be afraid to, to, to finally speak, speak it out and, and not be hidden and, and, and in the darkness any longer. So good. We touched on a little bit earlier, there's some additional barriers that women have to fight through when it comes to finding freedom. One of them being, you know, the fear piece that we've brought up multiple times. Are there any other like typical barriers where someone's like, yeah, I'm like soaked, like, let's go, let's start this thing. I'm I'm all in. What prevents them from actually taking action? Yeah, that's a great question. I think I once, I had a you know, after you give talks and there's always a line of people wanting to talk to you. And this woman came up and she, she'd been working on struggling with this addiction for years, but she hadn't experienced freedom yet. And I remember I just asking her like, well, do you actually want to be free? She's like, well, of course, you know, you know, didn't even really think of my question. I looked at her again. I said, no, do you, do you want to be free knowing that you will never have this to fall back on there? There will never, this will not be an option for you. If you're fully free, you you won't have this anymore. Do you truly want to be free? And I think it finally hit her and it made her realize that she didn't honestly want to be free. Like when it came down to it, and I think uh, this could go again with any addiction, but there is a fear and maybe it goes back to fear, but not feeling enough or not feeling like we can do it, um, that we're strong enough, that we're capable that, and, and, and to be honest, we're not like, that's why you need the Lord. But th- there is just this, this fear that without falling back on this, I won't be able to make it, you know, because we've relied on this so often when things get hard, when, when emotionally we're struggling. Um, there is, I think C.S. Lewis, the great divorce has a beautiful analogy and and an allegory story of a little lizard sitting on, um, someone's shoulder. If you know that allegory of, uh, he's, he's trying to get to heaven and there's this little lizard on his shoulder. And Essentially, this this figure that represents an angel is, is is saying, "Can I remove that for me for you?" He's like, "Oh, well, I don't know. Is it going to be painful?" And he goes, "Well, it might hurt a little bit, but it's not going to kill you, whatever." And he's like, "Oh, well, I I don't know. Like, he's been here for so long. I don't know." And he knows that the only way he's going to get to heaven is like by removing this lizard. And he doesn't want the lizard. Like he comes up going, "Yeah, this this annoying thing. I just want it to stop whispering in my ear. I, I want it gone, you know." But then he's like, "All right, let's get ready. I'm going to remove it." And then all of a sudden, he's like, "No, no, 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 no. Like I I need this." lizard he's been here this whole time hmm. never mind uh forget it like let's go back wow and I, I i read that and i'm always like that is so true to our addiction because we we've become so used to relying on it that we sometimes 
it's hard for us to break free because then that means that we have to not rely on it. And so in terms of yeah. barriers, just, and again, we've, we've mentioned this before. So finding those ways, those relationships, those that connection outside of your life so that you have ways to cope with whatever's going on deeper inside of you in a healthy way without needing to rely on this. For women, it is a lot of the shame and the, I mean, it's funny because we're so ashamed of it. We're more isolated and it's, it's a vicious circle of, I'm, I can't believe that I'm doing this. Women don't struggle with this, or this is just something no one women's talking about. So I'm alone. I'm in a hidden dark cave essentially of my own experience. <laughs> and then I'm more alone, which triggers more behavior. And then it just keeps going. Yeah. So that obviously is a huge, a huge barrier. And then I think that piece of finding someone to be accountable with finding another woman as of our shame and 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 walking with that um, would be another one. And then lastly, I think lack of resources for women yeah. specifically um, is just kind of an obvious barrier that there's just not as much. And that's why I wrote the book was was just to give women at least something to have their hands on that that they know they're not alone, that they can be reminded of these truths and uh, have a resource to to go to um, in the midst of these struggles. So good. So good. Uh, there's so much more I could talk to you about, but I know we're at the end of our show now. So uh, I'm just curious, um, you know, what resources are do you offer that, are you, that you're aware of out there that women can use? For example, if people want to bring you in to speak or buy your book, follow you online, how do they do all that? And what would you recommend for them? For sure. Um, so Kelsey Skoke, my name is so K-E-L-S-E-Y-S-K-O-C-H, KelseySkoke.com is really where you can get additional resources. I have a list on just the purity section of all of the stuff that you can maybe click on. Um, the Magdalene Ministries I just mentioned was is listed on there. You can find where you purchase my book through Chastity Project um, is on there. Uh, there's a booking page if you want me for a podcast or just talk in person or any of those things, you can do that. Or even if you just have a question, you're, you're free to reach out to me on my website. Um, the majority of kind of the questions that I answer though are through Instagram. So you can follow me on Instagram. Um, I have a lot of women there. It is so funny. It's such a topic that because of the shame around it. I, when my book first came out, you know, a big thing with with publishing a book is so many women want to share it and be like, you know, in their stories or post about it in social media and be like, look, the book I'm reading. No woman, well, not no women, some women have, but many women are too embarrassed to mention that they've read this book or that, you know, to promote it. And that prevents it from getting out there, right? The way our mm -hmm. world very much works now is the, the more visible something is, the more traction it receives, and then it can, you know, continue in that meet. And it, it breaks my heart. I have so many women that message and say, you know, uh, I've read your book here, da, 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 da. And, I, and I'm always like, how did you hear about it? Right? I want I want to learn. And and so just like sharing the word of, of, of that there are resources available, that, that this does exist. I think is also an important piece. And so thank you for having me on your show because I know there's so many women who, when they finally hear about my book, they're like, this mm -hmm. came out two, three years ago. Oh my goodness. Like I wish I had known right. before. So that, that it exists and it is there. Uh, and so that's where you can get resources, my book, email me, however, is that website and my Instagram. Cool. And we'll link to all that in the show notes so you guys can just easily click and make use of all of that. I, I just wanted to say, I have a lot of respect and admiration for you. You're again, putting yourself out there um, in a way that is scary. And, you know, I know you've been doing this for a while now, but starting out, it just took so much boldness. And that's one of the things I think I want to challenge women to as well is like, be like Kelsey, like when 
if you're on the fence about this, if you're thinking like, oh, it would be cool to join one of those support groups through Magdala, or it would be great to buy her book, or maybe you know talk to Kelsey, ask her a question, um, do it. <laughs> like, don't wait. Yes. Just like, be bold. Do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. Like, don't wait. Don't wait. Don't wait. Do it. Because you can go on like for years of your life struggling with this. And again, that point about you saying like that we become attached to these things, it's so true. Like they become our crutches, the things we fall back on. If we don't have that, we become so afraid. So I would say, ladies, like be bold, like take action now. Do not wait. You're going to be so grateful. Um, You know, your future spouse will be so grateful. Like even if you don't end up getting married, like the life that you're going to live is just going to be so much better. So take action. And uh, Kelsey, thank you so much for coming on the show. I want to give you the final word. What final encouragement or advice would you give to everyone listening, especially those women who come from broken families that struggle with these unwanted sexual behaviors? And perhaps those women too, who um, have like overcome this initially, but then they're like falling back into it because it's it's not a one and done thing like we talked about. So yeah, what final encouragement and advice would you give to them? I mean, just what we've been saying this whole time, freedom exists and that it exists for you and you deserve it. I think you deserve it. You deserve love and you deserve full freedom. There's a lot to think about, but two questions I'd like you to reflect on. One, what might freedom feel like? What might freedom feel like? And why might you want that freedom, if at all? So again, give that some thought. What might freedom from sexual brokenness, from unwanted sexual behavior, feel like and look like? And why might you want that freedom, if at all? Give that some thought. Again, to buy Kelsey's book, just click on the link in the show notes. And if you come from a divorced or broken family, how is your parents' divorce or your broken family affecting you today? It might be trickier to answer that than it seems. And if your answer is, I don't really know, or you don't understand the depth of it, you're not alone. That's actually very common. But in the words of one therapist, when it comes to experiencing healing, naming how you've been harmed is about 70% of the battle. Our new assessment will help you name and diagnose your brokenness so you can heal it at its roots, not just treat the symptoms and build the life and relationships that you desire. So if you want to become the best version of yourself, find the love, happiness, and freedom that you long for, and avoid repeating the cycle of dysfunction and divorce in your own life, then you need to heal. And the first step to healing is naming and diagnosing the wound. To help do that, take our free confidential and research-based assessment. Go to mybrokenfamily.com, mybrokenfamily.com, answer the questions, and then view your results. Again, go to mybrokenfamily.com or just click on the link in the show notes. That wraps up this episode. If you know someone who's struggling from their parents' divorce or broken marriage, share this podcast with them. And always remember, you are not alone. We're here to help you feel whole again and break the cycle of dysfunction and divorce in your own life.